Scripture, uh, James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, by faith itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does, not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Good morning. You know, there are some uh, who have uh, spoken of Mother Teresa and actually challenged uh, the way that she did ministry. I think it takes a lot of courage to challenge Mother Teresa on anything. But what they basically said was, well, you know, you do a lot of good works for people, and you care for them, and, and uh, you, you meet their needs, and you give them food, uh, you give them fish. But the challenge was, long term, you're not teaching people to fish. And, and so, you know, they're never going to be able to learn on their own how to provide for themselves. And Mother Teresa said, my people can't even stand. They can't even rise up. They are so sick and weak and malnourished that they have no way of even learning how to fish. They need to be fed. And she said to the people challenging her, she said, listen, I will feed the people fish. And then I will turn them over to you and you go ahead and teach them how to catch fish. I will feed them. You do that part. But I need to get them to stand up. And then she was quick to say this. But the only the other thing, too, that we need to bring in is that people come in and they want to do good works. They want to help and their hearts are good. But if they come in and just do acts of justice and, and if they just come in and, and, and provide a meal and they do that without love, if they do that where they're not caring and showing love to the, the people that they're ministering to, then we're missing completely what we're doing here. That we need to come in and the poor need to know that they are loved and valuable. And we need to express that love so that they can, they can know the love of God and so that they can stand up in hope 
that there is more in life through Jesus Christ, that we would bring them to the feet of Jesus with the love of God. And I thought as I heard that story that that's what James was trying to get us at today. He's getting us to to move towards a lifestyle of obedience in him, this outpouring of Christ in our lives, and to feed, as well as to bring the love of Jesus in that. And hopefully through that connection, the life of Christ is made evident and is touching people's lives who are broken, is ministering to people. And as we look at James this morning, he says this as he begins... He says, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? And you go, whoa, James, what what are we getting at here? Are you saying we must do works in order to have salvation? Is that what that looks like for us? Scripture is very clear on what works looks like in, in the Bible and the heartbeat of the Lord. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace that you have been saved. Through faith. And this is not from ourselves, it is a gift from God. And it is not by works so that no one can boast in themselves. It is a gift of God. And James is speaking to works in this life, and he's, he's not pointing to us to say, listen, this is, these are the things you have to do in order to have salvation. Do you realize in, in our Christianity, evangelical Christianity, that we are the, the only religion, the only one, truly, that believes that it's by the grace of God that we have life, salvation, that it's a gift? Every other religion, truly, is based on something they must do to obtain God's favor, something they must do to attain salvation. Whether it be to reach nirvana or hopefully that the scales are balanced out in the end. Hopefully enough, enough works that I reach a certain level of heaven. And James isn't speaking again to works that we must do. He's responding in what also is happening in Ephesians, that it's a gift that our life, our salvation is a gift, not by works. And I think what he's trying to get us at is that if we have life in Christ, if we are followers, Christ followers, truly, that we will be moved by the Holy Spirit to live in obedience to Him. We will be prompted by the power of the Lord to move in His character. Remember, we've been talking about that the Lord is molding us into His image, that what we call sanctification. He's making us into the character of Himself so that we might reflect God's love to those who are needy and broken. That we would be compelled by the love of Christ to live out His character in life. It's a response. A response to us being saved. A response to the gift of of salvation. You know, where I was at Westmont College in Santa Barbara, in the main quad area, 
there's this beautiful uh, three-tiered fountain. And many of you have seen fountains similar to this. But the image of the fountain is what kind of stuck with me as I thought about what James is calling us to. That as you watch these fountains and, and you look upon their beauty, you know, they, they bubble forth from the top and then they pour out and then they'll fill the, the bowl. And then that bowl fills up and it can do nothing but pour over into the next bowl that's bigger. And then as that one fills up, it does the same thing. It pours out into the next. I thought that's what James is trying to move us towards. That because of Christ's overflowing abundance in our lives, that gift of salvation to you and to me. He even says of himself, I'm I'm a bubbling brook. It's never-ending. I am the spring of life. And so I pour out into your life. And that as he pours out his love and his character, his his just abundance into us. We can do nothing but have that spill over through works which is in the life of Christ to others so that they might know His goodness and His love. And what James is saying is, if that isn't pouring out, then we have to take an honest look at ourselves. It's not a question of, have I lost my salvation? It's a question of who are we in Christ? Are we ones who just give lip service? You know, again, when they do these surveys around the world uh, and they say, do you believe in God? It's like 82%. Yeah, we believe. What does that mean? Because I think if that was true, then we would see the life of Christ being poured out all over the planet. And so it's a challenge to our hearts. And as I read this, I'm like, Lord, I know my life is, is saved in you. And I guess for what, a, what the Spirit was convicting me is, am I, am I responding to your Spirit and living out your life in this world? Through me and all of my brokenness and the mess that I am, that you still want to bubble over into me and that me to pour out into others the character of Jesus. And you know, again, it's not... Uh, doesn't happen overnight. That's why sanctification, being molded in the image of Christ, takes time. Our flesh kicks against that. But the thing that happens is, I'll take an 8 by 10 glossy, thank you. <laughs> but the, the thing with that is that truly, you remember John 15? I am the vine. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, Here's what the outcome is. You will, the promise of Scripture is, you will bear fruit. You will. What that means is, I hold on and my life is totally sustained by Christ and I can do nothing but bear fruit. And I think that's what James is getting at with us this morning. That if we have a life without works, that means the life of Christ pouring out, then we have to, it's, it's nothing of the character of God. There, there is no Christ-like character coming out of you. And therefore you go, who am I in Christ? If anything. And so he's challenging. He is. He's exhorting us to take a look at who we are in Christ. That we're not just giving lip service to God. And again, I want to remind you, and, and I think you know this, but we do not do works for salvation. 
It is this wonderful, beautiful gift of our Lord who paid the price on the cross for us. Right in the middle of our sin, died for us. And anyone who would call upon his name shall be saved. Anyone who says, yes, Lord, I believe and I accept you as my Lord and Savior, you shall be saved. We do not do works for salvation. You know, the other thing I was thinking of about just kind of who we are in, in our life with Christ is how I think sometimes we do works and then we kind of do a bargaining with God. We say, God, look at all that I'm doing for you. And therefore, the outcome of that should be that, that good things are happening in my life. And if, if life is hard, all of a sudden you hit a major curveball. And you go, but wait, Lord, look at all I've done for you. And we try to, again, want to do this bargaining with God. And we want this cosmic, you know, gum machine to pour out as we put our quarter in. You know, uh, David West shared a wonderful story with me. And I thought it's just true of our character. He, uh, he was driving uh, ski boats up at family camp, which was just wonderful. And thank you for, for all of you who uh, drove boats up there. I know that was a lot of your time. And, and uh, you just blessed our children and family. So thank you for that. But uh, he was saying, uh, I had to come back to come and teach. And he, um, he was out there driving Joshua and uh, Nicholas Lee. And they were on the tube. Uh, that they were, uh, you know, bouncing behind the boat. And he says, yeah, it was great because um, what happened was Nicholas and Joshua on it, we hit this big bump, and, man, the two kids just go flying off the, off the tube. And, uh, and so Josh hops up on the, on the tube, and Nicholas is just having a little bit of a harder time getting up on the tube. So Josh grabs him by the life jacket and pulls him up on the tube, and, and they go on their way. And then finally they pull him into the boat, and... Uh, And they're just saying, Josh, way to go, way to help Nicholas up uh, on the boat. The other thing that was going on at camp at the same time, every morning, uh, David Rush, uh, he would would give out candy bars to to things that were happening around camp, like if a kid took a spill on a bike or if someone did a a nice act of service or if someone had a nice camper with a shower in it, he would uh, have them share that uh, camper uh, with us, and uh, we know who you are. And... um, (laughs) And so you get these candy awards uh, for all kinds of different things happening in camp, nice things that were done for each other and so on. And so back to David and, and the kids. So they're on the boat and they're saying, Josh, way to go, way to, uh, way to help out Nicholas get up on the, uh, on the raft. And that was really kind. And his response was, will you tell the candy man? <laughs> and I thought, that's a great human response. We want people to know, and we want reward for our actions. And the Lord is calling us, he's saying, listen, I want your outpourings, again, to be an outpouring because you're filled with me. You don't need to do this to get reward. I I want to reward you and bless you just because I love you. You don't have to do that in order to get my blessing upon you along your life. We don't do works for salvation. We don't do works to bargain with God. We do them because God is alive in our lives. He is working in us. An outpouring of relationship with Christ. A response in obedience to what our Savior is calling us to. 
And so James is really digging in in our souls. And he says this, well, suppose a brother or sister is without food, and, and if one of you says, I'm go, I wish you well, keep warm, but does nothing about physical needs. What good is it? In the same way as that example, our faith by itself is not accompanied by action. It's dead. There is no life of Christ in it. Genuine faith does not respond to genuine need with words. Do you hear that? I mean, listen to the words. Oh, I, you know, I mean, they're, they're like these nice words. Oh, I hope you're warm. I hope you're well. Th- oh, God bless you. And the person is still in the same place. The last thing that LaShonda Calloway saw as she lay on the floor in a little mini market, the last thing she saw was a person stepping over her to get more food, to go down the aisle they wanted to go down. LaShonda showed up at a little mini mart to to get some items. She got into an altercation, and she ended up getting stabbed, and she fell to the floor, dying. And video surveillance cameras showed what happened in that time that she was dying. And what happened was, there she lay in great need, and video surveillance cameras showed not only one person stepping over her, but five, and pursuing their items that they were getting. One person did stop. You know what they did? They got their cell phone out and took a picture of her. And she died. I know that's an extreme story. But James is speaking extreme stuff to us. If we are ones that just step over, that is nothing but death. You know what? When we serve and enter in, it's inconvenient, isn't it? It always is. The life in Christ is always inconvenient, you guys, truly. And you better get over being comfortable. Because that's not who Christ is in us. It's about entering into the things that that create inconvenience because you're showing the love of God. It's like, so what if it's inconvenient? So what if it takes your time? What, i got to go shop for more grocery items and yet this person is in great need? Because i I got to get my kid to a soccer game, so sorry, I can't help you out. That's what James is getting at, truly. And again, it's life in Christ, life that is poured out, that we wouldn't get in the habit of, again, stepping over people because it's, it takes up our time. This is what the scriptures remind us of. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, 
to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is our spiritual act of worship. That we give our lives, as again, as God pours into us, that we give our lives to others, even though it is a sacrifice. It is. But that's what's holy and pleasing to God. We're set apart unto Him, aren't we? We're no longer our own. We are bought with a price. We belong to God, to Jesus. And so our life is about stepping in as the Spirit moves, okay? I want you to hear that. This isn't, again, you know, we all do it. We all miss sometimes. It's like, man, people are in need and I just missed an opportunity. Or, You know, we, we miss. He's speaking about a lifestyle of where we just, we keep stepping over, not engaging with, and he's saying, that, there's nothing of Christ that would compel you to do that. That's not, that's not godliness. And because we know the Holy Spirit dwells within us, He will move us into His character. He will. And so we need to respond to what God's doing in our lives. That we offer ourselves not expecting anything in return. Truly. That's probably one of the hardest parts. I give my time to you. I want some payback here. I want you to tell me what a great person I am. I want you to thank me all the time for my life involved in your life. You know your flesh cries out for that. You know, as I, um, on a personal level, was reading James before we started this study, uh, you know, Scripture, again, as James is speaking to us, he says, what is, what is pure righteousness? What does unadulterated godliness look like? That's a fair question, right? We should all be going, you know, am I, am I one who's living and pleasing God? Is my, is my offering holy and pleasing to Him, my worship? That's a fair question for all of us should look in the mirror. I hope you are. I am. And you go, yuck, but I'm still a child of God. And I know He's still doing work in me. And sometimes I look and I go, thank you, Lord, for your maturing me. Amen. I love it. I love to see God working in my life, and I'm actually growing up a little bit. That's not boastful in myself. That's boastful in God. And so one of the things that God stirred in me as I was reading James, and it says, unadulterated religion, unadulterated uh, righteousness, looks like serving the widows and the orphans. Those who are truly can't take care of themselves. Those truly in incredible need. Because God cares for those people. Everybody else dismisses them. They don't care for them. And what God is saying is, to live out the character of me, that's what it looks like. To care for those who can't care for themselves. To, to know that you're not going to get anything back. And so, compelled by the Spirit, I thought, you know what? I want to I try to step in, Lord, if you have me to step into these ministries. Uh, help me to, to learn how to minister to those that we, we would consider the, the widows and the orphans. And so I did. I just started, I started to take, when I was doing college young adult ministry, I, I took kids uh, with me and we would go. And, and every, every month at least, we were down at the rescue mission and I had the real joy of teaching down there. And, and then we would serve dinner and it was just great. And then as God kept putting this into my life, just this desire to, to care for the widows and orphans, uh, I would take groups to San Francisco with me, to the Tenderloin District, this hard, hard district of of just, uh, you know, old vets and uh, heavy drug use and a lot of homeless people and this, you know, a few square blocks. And uh, so we would go and minister. 
And we would go and we would minister to kids whose mom and dads were crack addicts. And so nobody's really caring for them. And they're hard-edged kids. And, and you, truly, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. And uh, then we would go and we would take food uh, to those in these uh, SROs, single residence occupancies, that were uh, all these, these uh, folks who had AIDS. And so literally that 10 by 10 SRO was, was their coffin. They died there. And so we would go and we would make food all day and then we would bring it to them. And if they would allow us, we would, we would sit with them, care for their lives. Sometimes they just didn't want to talk to anybody. And then, so about day three, we're into this, and there's, a, there's many wonderful soup kitchens, but we did one that's called St. Anthony's, and they were going to serve 2,000 people uh, at lunch, and they do that pretty much every day, 2,000 folks come in and out. And the way that they do it, which I love, is that they have a, uh, a meal stub, a little ticket, and you come, and you take their stub, and then you go, you get their meal for them, and then you bring it to them, you serve them. And I love that. But here's what happened in the middle of it. Here we are serving for God. And we, one of the, one of the staff leaders with me, she brings this meal. We're all kind of around in the same area. And she, you know, hey, here's your meal. I hope you have a nice day. And this guy just goes off. Blankety, blankety, blank. What is this blankety, blank? Who's going to eat this stuff? And he just starts going off. And all of us who are around, you know, in our minds are going, who does this guy think he is? Doesn't he realize what we are doing for him? Who, how dare him speak this way to us, serving him? And man, God really convicted us as a group. And it was just like, Lord, we're here to please you alone and to pour out your love. And isn't that what everybody did to you, Jesus? Who in the blankety-blankety-blank are you, God? And yet he kept pouring out his love. That's what the Lord is calling us to as we are filled from the top, poured out into our lives, and then we overflow and we pour out into others. Only through the power of the Spirit in our lives and through the Spirit's leading in us. Whenever we enter in, it is messy. Whenever we enter into people's lives, it is demanding and it calls of us our lives. It's personal. It's involved. But He wants us to enter in. This is how we know what love is says 1 John chapter 3. That Jesus Christ laid down His life for us and that we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue but with actions and truth. Because, as James says, faith without works is not sick. Faith without works is not weak. It is dead. 
flatline faith. It is useless. It offers nothing to anybody. And when we do not respond in faith through the power of the Holy Spirit, we truly do. We leave people dead. We, we, we leave them without any life or hope in Christ. And when we say, go help yourself and I hope you get better, that's spiritual death to them. This is the love of God. And James is calling us, he's urging us to take a look at ourselves and let's get inconvenienced because it's God's life in us that will pour out. James goes on and he starts doing this little argument in and of himself as he writes. And he says this, someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Scripture says, Paul says this in Romans 3:28, for we maintain that Man is justified by faith apart from works. It's by faith alone, basically, he's saying. And so there's this kind of wrestling, like, what's going on here? But James isn't contradicting Paul. He's enhancing what Paul says. And actually, Paul, in Galatians later on, we'll see, it's, it's when the love of God pours out from us, that's, that's what God has in store for us. So Paul even speaks to what he says in Romans to add to it. But what's happening, what James is trying to do is he's trying to bring in this beautiful marriage of faith and works. They cannot be separated. When they are separated, they are incomplete. They are lacking. That they always, always go together. Always. Because when we have believed, when we have faith in Jesus Christ who has saved our lives, and when we believe when he says in John 14, I've sent the Spirit who's invaded your soul and he takes up residence in you, then the, the natural outcome of that is that he's going to pour out forth from our life. Do you guys see that? I hope I'm making sense for James' sake so I can represent him and what he's doing in us. Do you understand? He's saying, faith and works have to be together. It's the natural outpouring of our life in Christ. We can't just be up here and, and just teach the word. And here, this is, you know, again, I hope you guys, I hope you guys don't have any food today. You know, I just want you to know God loves you. And they go away starving. No, and the word too, the word goes with action. The word is important. We always want to bring a truth. And that's what Mother Teresa said. We've got to bring forth that truth in their life as well as feeding them. Because we want to bring them to the foot, the feet of Jesus. They need to know truth and the love of God. But we also live that out at the same time. But what his argument is, he says, listen, you know, you have incredible belief in God. Well, so do the demons. You go, what, James, what are you getting at? The demons are believers. They believe in one God. But that belief does not affect their will, nor does it transform their character. They do not obey God. Halle Berry says, I believe in God. 
I just don't know if it's Jehovah or Allah or Buddha. Well, what good does that do anybody? What is your belief system in? What, what are you saying, actually? How does that change your life? The demons believe they have this great intellectual understanding of God. But just believing that God exists is not a sign of authentic, genuine faith in Jesus. Saving faith. Truly accepting him for who he is. If we just offer lip service or verbal things and say, go be warm, be filled, God bless you. He says that faith is dead. It's dead. If we just get an intellectual understanding of who God is, he says, well, that's just like the demons. It has no life transforming change. A transformed heart, humble obedience, expressions of love is what we should see in the life of Christ in us. And so he says as he speaks about Abraham, I want to give you an example of what this looks like. He says, remember Abraham? He goes up to Mount Moriah and he's got this, he's supposed to be the father of many nations and, and he's supposed to take his one son supposed to be the, the one who's going to lead after him and bring forth all these children. Go sacrifice Isaac, Abraham. And what James is saying is, you remember that scene where Abraham, because of his faith, he was moved in obedience to God because he trusted what God had for his life. And so he was compelled to move. And he went up to go offer... Isaac at Mount Moriah. And just as he's about to make the sacrifice, the angel of the Lord says, stop it. Don't. And he's saying, do you understand what happened in that moment? That James responded, or that Abraham responded in faith. And he lived it out. And his faith affected his actions. And at the same time, his actions affected his faith. And what James is saying is this. When he lived out that obedience, you see that in verse 22, that his faith and his actions, they were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And this is what I don't want you to miss. Is that when we step out in obedience to Christ, as the Spirit is moving us, when we respond to him and we, we love others through, again, the power of the Lord and as he's leading us, then all of a sudden I, I know God. I'm a believer of the Lord. He is my Savior. I know he has my life. And so I, I step out in obedience and faith to him. And then all of a sudden my faith just absolutely, as I live it out, I see God ministering to me. Again, truly pouring out into my life. I never thought I would be able to, to, to love this way. And God is filling us full of himself as we are giving of ourselves in his character so that people would know who the Lord is and would know his love. And then at the same time as we're sharing his love, we're filled with his love. 
It's complete. We are made whole. And that's what he's saying about Abraham. When he took that step, all of a sudden he's filled with God. So that he is now full. And it was faith and works and they were acting together. Rahab did the same thing. She trusted in God and she was filled full of the Lord as as she ministered to those spies coming in. She knew that there was a God who loved her. She knew that there was a God who was a powerful Yahweh God who was going to minister to her soul. And as she took the step of faith, she was filled with the Lord. She took action. We are made whole when we respond to the life of the Spirit. And you know what? I know you know that. Those of you who have given of yourselves because you belong to Christ. And, you know, we have that old saying, it truly is, you are more blessed to give than receive, right? That's true, actually. When we offer our lives, when we're a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, the character of God pours into us. And we're able to minister to this broken world. And we're able to experience. Do you understand what Jesus says in Philippians 2? Spoken of Jesus that he emptied himself. He emptied himself of being all God. Of being, of being the one who has all authority to say, I'm, gonna God, I'm God, I'm going to come down and, and just do God's stuff. He emptied himself of that. Chose to humble himself. Come down and, and son and flesh. But at the same time, what we can't miss in that passage in Philippians 2 is that it says, and then he was filled up with servant. And it never does it say, and servant was less. Or that, well, you know, he really put himself low as servant. No, and he was filled up with the character of God. Which, by the way, God is servant. Yeah, God is all-powerful. God is creator of the universe. But do you understand God is servant? I emptied myself. I became servant. That's the character of God. And therefore, the spirit of God as he works in us, he will compel us to minister. And he will minister to us just like Jesus was ministered to by the Father. Mark 10:45. I came not to be served, but to serve. I came to serve. And to give my life a ransom for many. That's why he came. Pay the price for us. To give his life for others. So that they might know the character of God. And all glory goes to God. That his life would be poured out into others. And that they might too receive salvation and life. You see what James is getting at? No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, then God lives in us and his love is made Complete in us. We become whole when we're loving each other. God's character is shining forth. You know, as you read a passage like this, you know, one of the questions that came up for me, and I'm sure it comes up for you, which is like, well, well, what do we do now? What's God calling us to do? And, And sometimes I think we can now all of a sudden enter into, you know, almost like, do we start doing a bunch of activity? What's God calling upon us? Doing all kinds of good things? And I just want to encourage you that I hope we don't move in that direction. I don't think James is calling us to. But calling us to, to be like Mary, 
who sat at the feet of Jesus, listening to what he had for her. Martha occupied herself with busyness, and she missed. I don't want us to be a church where you guys are doing so many different ministries that you're just spiritually, really, you're spiritually empty. That's not what James is calling us to do. Well, faith without works, I've got to do works. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, would you allow the Holy Spirit to minister to your soul? That one of the things that you need to know about the character of God is that he will minister to you and he will show you where he needs to go. The end of Ephesians 2, you know, 8 and 9 I shared with you, but 10 is this, for you and I are God's workmanship. We are God's workmanship. And we are created to do good works. We're created for this. That God has prepared in advance for us to do. Do you understand what that means? What that means is this. We don't have to go and say, Hey, Kristen, let's figure out, you know, should we go to Africa this month? I mean, it's, it, we don't have to do that. It's okay to dialogue and say, What's God What's God calling? You know, what do you think God's doing on you? And I know after family camp, again, I think there was a good stirring on, hey, what does God have for us as a church and in our lives? But don't miss what Ephesians 2.10 says, which is, and God has prepared in advance. Do you understand? The Holy Spirit's already got it set out where he needs you to be. I think the challenge upon us is, will I humbly hear him and submit to what he's asking me to do? Will I allow myself to be inconvenienced and to be filled with God and to minister with the Lord? Prepared in advance for us to do. You know, I used to get a honey-do list from my wife. Now I get a honey works prepared in advance for you to do list. I'm like, that's not fair. But it's true. God has these wonderful things. He knows, he knows your spiritual gift. Or gifts. He knows where he needs you to be. We have to be, like James says, quick to listen. Ones that, that hear his voice. We need to be like Mary at the feet of Jesus and say, okay, I want to hear you. I want to know what you're doing. Ones who realize there's a need. And we do this, what we call, and, and, and I don't want it to be a confusing term, but ministry of the new covenant. All that means is, in Corinthians 3, is this. All God, nothing of us, all through the power of this broken, all through the power of God, through this broken vessel, that His light is shining forth. And so that as God is pouring out into our lives and that we pour out into others, it's all to the glory of God. Faith without works is dead, but faith, faith lived in the life of the Spirit, brings nothing but life. And all of that wonderful glory goes not to Rod, Richie, or to any of you. It goes to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that he might be known and that he might be poured out into people's lives and that they too, as they are ministered to, might know the saving grace of Jesus. That's what James is calling us to this morning.